Morning, church. It's good to see you all. It's good to be with you. My name's Mark. I serve as one of the pastors here. It's great to, to be here. I, I didn't talk to the worship team about going burgundy red this morning, but we just kind of had like this feeling that we were going to all match, I guess. <laughs> so just thought I'd call that and share that, just share that with you now. If you, got your, if you have your Bibles, would you open them to, with me to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be putting our attention into verses 37 through 45 this morning. Now, we are a church, the Hallows Church. We long to see the difference Jesus makes in all of life. That's a, that's a phrase, seeing the difference, discovering the difference Jesus makes. You'll find that kind of scattered throughout our signage and different things because it's something that we deeply believe and something we long for, that we strive for. And we find that in the scriptures, we see the same cadence and the same kind of rhythm. But the Bible is an honest book. It's a raw book. It's real. It doesn't sugarcoat dilemmas. It doesn't make believing Jesus and following Jesus seem like super easy, right? It's raw, it's real. It doesn't elevate characters in the stories to make them seem better. It actually, most of the time, does the opposite. It actually documents their history, which means it shows them on the good days and it shows them on the bad days. And there are two verses that I find deeply comforting that also seem directly to contradict each other. It's both said by great leaders that God used in the faith, but it helps kind of show how just honest and real it is. These two verses, one of them being Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, who spoke so boldly to the Lord and so eloquently said, here I am, send me. And then my other favorite is Moses, who also spoke boldly and not so eloquently and said, please, Lord, send someone else. (laughs) Two men of faith, two moments where God moved distinctly and powerfully through them, through both of these men at different points in time, struggled with belief. They struggled, they doubted, they had worries and concerns about what God was doing. These two verses I find so comforting because it seems to me like I live in this tide of belief at times where it kind of rises and falls beyond my control. And sometimes it seems like God is, is with me, he's moving, he, he's faithful, he's doing all of these things, and I'm in it, but then all of a sudden that tide kind of washes back, and I struggle to believe. I struggle to, ha- I have doubts. My faith seems drawn out. I struggle to see Jesus' power in a difficult situation. But our belief however limited, however frail it is, is enough for God to use. Despite our dilemmas of faith, 
where we ebb and flow between doubt and security, Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. This this morning is a story about belief. It's about disciples doubting, having a moment of belief that had actual consequences. And Jesus is the one who makes all the difference. Jesus does for this boy and this father what those disciples could not do. And we get to see Jesus' power in a beautiful gospel way. So before I begin, I want to just kind of pray in that direction. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we ask that we would see Jesus clearly. God, we pray that we would see the difference Jesus makes. And that that faith that we look to the scriptures to see and to learn about Jesus would translate and reflect in our lives now, in the struggles that we go through, in the difficulties that we have, God, in our dilemmas, I pray that Jesus would shine. In Christ's name, amen. So last week, if you were with us last week, uh, it was this very big moment in, uh, in Luke's gospel where it was Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, this big, big moment in the, in the gospel where it shows Jesus taking three disciples up onto this mountain and he kind of, and he displays for this moment before this is the first time ever, he shows his glory in a way that's actually reflected of who he is in this beautiful time when God the Father is speaking in an audible voice. He says, this is my son, the chosen one, listen to him. And Moses and Elijah are standing next to Jesus. And so our passage this morning begins directly after that. It's Jesus and his disciples now coming down the mountain. You could say that this passage reflects Jesus coming down from the majesty of the mountain into the misery in the valley. It's that different. And it's made for you to feel the difference. But Jesus shows his glory in both. So again, that's Luke chapter 9, verse 37 to 45, if you haven't turned there yet. I'm going to start by focusing on verses 37 through 41, where we're met with this dilemma of belief. So let's read this together. It says, The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. Just then, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, because he's my only child. A spirit seizes him. Suddenly, he shrieks. And it throws him into convulsions until he foams at the mouth, severely bruising him. It scarcely ever leaves him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Jesus replied, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. In stories like this, we're confronted with two things as it relates to belief and it relates to our faith. The first is the shocking 
evil of evil. And second is the only hope of deliverance from that evil. This description of this little boy is meant to upset you. It's meant to pull you out of the majesty of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration and the the heavenly Father, Son, and all of his glory into the misery of this Father, Son, who is so helpless, he can't help his little boy from being tortured by a demon. It's meant to upset you. It's meant to make you feel pain and anguish that this father is doing everything he can, but he can't fix that. He can't save his son from that. This demon is torturing this little boy. It seizes him, and the way that his father knows that it's happening is through his son's screams. That's horrible. That's horrible. The demon will throw him down, will cause him to go completely stiff, or sometimes it will cause him to have uncontrollable convulsions. This little boy has been beaten and thrown into fire. He has scars bruises all over him and the the demon throws him into water where he's almost drowned he's being tortured and this is and the worst part of what it says there is and it scarcely ever leaves him this demon is with this boy one commentator i I felt like gave a great description of this where he said this boy is living in in an aquarium-like existence where he can see what's going on around him, but he can't move and he can't hear and he can't speak. This father is saying, help. Help my son, my only son. It shatters him. It crushes him together. That's the language. That's what we're meant to feel. That's what we're meant to be seeing And it shows us that evil is scary. It really is ugly and destructive. The father begged the disciples to help, and they couldn't do anything. Now, remember, if you've been walking with us in Luke, just days before, these disciples were given power and authority by Jesus to do this very thing, to cast out demons to heal the sick from people being, who, who were suffering, who were, um, who were being tortured. And yet, this moment where this little boy is so vulnerable, it can't, it's not working. And it became clear that it wasn't because this was some kind of super demon or something. Something else was amiss, and that something else is what causes Jesus to reflect and say those words that he says. Because what he says is pretty hard. You kind of, you kind of feel bad for the dad, right? Because it sounds like he's talking directly to his father, but the language that Jesus is using is a general language, a general lament that echoes Moses and that reaches everyone. 
When he says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? Jesus' response was speaking to the root of the issue. The root of the disciples' powerlessness was their unbelief. Their failure was not because they didn't try. It wasn't because there wasn't effort. It was a root of unbelief. And that echoed lament that Jesus is saying is from Moses. When Moses looked at Israel, when they were walking with the Lord and all he could see was corruption. And he says to his people in Deuteronomy 32, he says, this people have acted corruptly toward him who brought him out of the land of Egypt, right? This is their defect. They are not his children, but a devious and crooked generation. It's that crooked, twisted generation that leads us into thinking about our dilemma. When we want to move for the Lord, when we want to act on God's behalf, we're met with the first dilemma, which is our unbelieving generation. It's not that we don't believe in things. We believe in a lot of things. It's that we misplace our belief. We misplace our loves. We misplace our hopes, our dreams, our desires for momentary things. And it leaves us not just feeling more empty, but before even that, it leaves us comfortable. And comfortable to say to God that God can do something instead of believing God will do something on our behalf. When we look at Mark's gospel, we get to see this unbelief demonstrated a bit clearer in the conversation that Jesus has between the Father. The Son is, is having a moment where the, the Spirit is seizing him and causing convulsions. And Jesus asks the Father, how long has this been happening to him? And the, the Father says to him, from childhood. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Listen to Jesus' question. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. That's where we get that verse from. A father was looking at his, desperately at his little boy to be healed. I do believe, but help my unbelief. Friends, what is your response to trouble? Earlier in Luke, Jesus asked his disciples very clearly and pointedly, where is your faith? That's a powerful question. It's a powerful question because it speaks to the depths of our heart, to the depths of our soul, to bring out our belief and expose our belief. And when we see that, we too cry out, I do believe, but help my unbelief, meaning my belief is like a tide. Some days I see you moving all around me. In other ways, and some days 
I believe you're going to make everything right. But then there's other times I feel you can make it right, but maybe you won't. And it's in those moments that I find myself suffering because I'm caught in the ebb and flow of belief. But Jesus says, this is what's amazing, that's enough. Let me use that. It reveals to us then a second dilemma, though, in that moment. So not that that's already hard, but I'll just make it a little bit worse for a minute, and then I'll make it easy again. The other dilemma that, the, that Jesus reveals to his disciples is, is a prayerless ministry. So Jesus has a good tendency of putting everything out on the table before he makes anything better. He wants everybody to know really what's happening here. And it's a prayerless ministry. What do, what do I mean by that? The disciples asked, they were bothered why they couldn't heal this little boy, why they couldn't cast out this demon. And he says, this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer. Right? It wasn't that they weren't praying. It's that their ministry of loving God and serving these different people became kind of prayerless when they assumed their role in what God was going to do. There was a dangerous assumption about what God was going to do. And that assumption led to a prayerless ministry. I remember, I, I remember a moment when I had that same kind of experience. I was serving with these uh, other young, late teenager, early 20-somethings in Cambodia, and there was this little boy who was in the orphanage who the, the caretakers of him believed that he was being demonically oppressed. And I remember in my arrogance, along with everybody else's, we were like, let's go, let's do this. Grab your acoustic guitar, grab your cajon, we're going to play some worship songs. And then we're like, we're marching down the streets. We're like, Jesus, gonna, he's going to heal him. Some, who's going to say the healing prayer? Who's going to play the song? I'm going to play the Hillsong one. It's going to be really good. We'll just move from one Hillsong song into the next Hillsong song. We'll hit the bridge. Jesus is going to do cool stuff. And as we're walking there, we're just talking about all the things that are going to happen, right? Kind of assuming that they were going to happen in our way. And then when, when one of our leaders said while we were walking, well, have any of you prayed for him yet? Literally stopped us in our tracks. Like, oh yeah, that's probably a good idea. And we kept going. Now, was the Lord moving? Yes. I'm surprised that I got to see evidence of grace based on our attitude. But what it's showed me in that moment was a glimpse of a tension that I'm going to feel for the rest of my life, which is I can assume what God is doing, and that can lead me dangerously into a prayerless life, a life when I'm not being fully dependent on Jesus, but I'm assuming what he's going to do. 
True prayer, friends, is an act. It is an action of faith. And vital, authentic faith, believing in Jesus, exists only in a life of perpetual, dependent prayer. When prayer leaves the ministry, it becomes powerless. And Jesus is exposing that right now to, this, to the disciples. He's saying that to them. And these are the dilemmas that we often find ourselves in. That when we believe a lot of things, we're, left to, we're, we're tempted to look elsewhere. And our belief becomes convoluted. We may be comfortable praying in emergencies, but we settle for a less than vital prayer life. But the good news is that despite these moments of unbelief, these moments when our faith feels frail, Jesus makes all the difference to building up our faith. So let let me draw your attention back down to verse 42 through 43, where we get to see the difference Jesus makes to this, this boy and his father and the disciples and crowds. It says, as the boy was still approaching, the demon knocked him down and threw him into severe convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all astonished at the greatness of God. So I want to draw out three elements of Jesus just to show how Jesus and Jesus alone makes all of the difference in this this moment and in our lives. The first is that Jesus' presence is approachable. Luke is making a clear point here that we often kind of miss because um, because of our world that we've grown up in. This dramatic moment of the transfiguration, think about this. His first ministry is to help a child. His first ministry is going to a person who is not held in high regard, who is needy, who is dependent, who has problems, who is, by the very definition, lowly. And that's who Jesus comes to first. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful to see just that amazing picture? I've shared this quote before. I'm going to share it again. I hope you're not like, oh, he shared that before. But In the book, Gentle and Lowly, actually, I don't even care. You know, it's a good quote. (laughs) In Gentle and Lowly, Dane Orland, he says, no one in human history has been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No prerequisites, no hoops to jump through, the minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply open yourself up to him. So I want to ask you, do you have a tendency to try and unburden yourself? 
Do you have a tendency to collect yourself before you want to come to Jesus, to think, I've got to get myself together before I come to him? No one is too low for Jesus. Amen? It's your very burden and your very need, your deepest need, your darkest need, your most secret insecurity that qualifies you to come to Jesus in the first place. Do you feel that? Do you feel that? That Jesus is approachable, not a Jesus that we make up in our heads and say, when I get myself together and I fix my problems, is Jesus there? No, Jesus is there now. It's amazing what Jesus does with our humility and our brokenness because Jesus' power is astonishing. Not only does he heal present wounds, he redeems broken, helpless sinners into a restored, hopeful ambassador. He heals, he takes and redeems broken, hopeless sinners like you and like me and turns us and restores us as hopeful ambassadors. Jesus really is for you. He's with you and he's able to do miraculous things in your life and in others for his glory and for your good. And in all of that, I have to be honest, and I hope you have to be honest too, in that oftentimes I'm led over time in growing comfortable with the the things that happen, I grow comfortable to simply find Jesus mundane. I find moments when I struggle to be excited for, for the Lord. I struggle with moments where there's a, a boredness that covers the scriptures. And friends, that's so dangerous. And all I mean, it's tempting for everybody to feel because it can feel like Jesus is, is acting here, but in my life, I'm not I'm not sure. Let me ask you then, if you felt that temptation before, are you too enthralled with the things around you, with your dreams and ambitions and the entertainment of your drama? Too much so to be astonished by Jesus. I loved what uh, Pastor Jeff shared last week when he was talking about this woman being lulled to sleep by a satanic lullaby. That was powerful. I felt, because I was like, man, I don't know what that lullaby sounds like, but I've like heard that lullaby. I, I can really relate to that. I've been drowsy too. And I've looked to my own power instead of Jesus's. But perhaps what we need, friends, over and over again is to come back to the gospel, to come back to Jesus 
Church, we have to remember what is displayed here. To see the difference Jesus makes is to see that Jesus' purpose is apparent. Or else we may get lulled to sleep. 1 Timothy 1.15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To which the church says, hallelujah. Hallelujah, say that. Thank you, good, you're with me. And then Paul goes on to say, he doesn't just leave us there, he says, and I am the worst of them. Right? I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. So that is wonderful news, church. That is wonderful news for us. Faithful yet fickle people moving throughout the regular cadences of our lives, being hit with circumstance after circumstance of difficulty, with our eyes being enthralled to look at multiple forms of entertainment and comfortability and pleasure and all these different things, for Jesus to say, come to me as you are. Come honestly. And I will use that to show you my grace and to show you my power, and to show you my love for you. I am approachable. Isn't that beautiful? Frail people like us. Jesus loves so much. And within that, we get to see our destiny, the destiny we receive from Christ. Let me show you that in, in the passage here. It's the second half of verse 43 to 45. It says, while everyone was amazed at all the things he was doing, he told his disciples, let these words sink in. The son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement. It was concealed from them so they could not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. So the good news for us is that we're on this side of the cross and we get to look into our destiny here at Jesus' words. The disciples, they didn't have that kind of privilege. It was just confusing. But Jesus here is saying that he will make all things right. He will. Not just he can. He will. But... He's also saying it will come from a twisted generation who believes in all of the wrong things. I will not, just like, just like Jake was saying, Jesus doesn't use his power against, he gives it away. And the, the, the passage here is meant to display the depths of misery that Jesus came to save. But what is, for the, what is the purpose of it? The purpose is making all things new, making all things right, and turning our, 
unbelief, turning our momentary doubt, turning our difficulties that we have, and turning them into something that is new and that is beautiful. Philippians 2 says, so that, Jesus did all this, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. In Jesus, we see the difference. We see it. We are able to move outside of it and see what Jesus sees. Among you whom shine like stars in the world. What a glorious privilege we have to, sh- to be the light of Jesus here. So where does that leave us? You may be struggling with belief. Welcome to the church. You may be struggling to be perfect and get frustrated in that. Welcome to the church. You may be struggling to feel like your life is authentic. Welcome to the church. To the, to the broken, to the burdened, to the dis, dispirited, to the cast down, Jesus says, come and welcome. It is not a requirement to offer a perfect faith in Jesus. It is to offer an honest faith and an authentic faith that Jesus will make perfect. Amen? That means, friends, that when you feel like your faith is a tide rising and falling, Jesus will make all of the difference. When you face dilemmas that life throws at you, Jesus will make all the difference. When you're stuck in the tension of, here I am, Lord, send me, and the please, Lord, send someone else, Jesus will make all the difference. Why? Because Jesus is approachable. Jesus is astonishing. Jesus and his purposes are apparent. And Jesus loves you. He really loves you. And the scriptures are an honest book that over and over again show you the love of God in Christ Jesus. So church, join me in being astonished at the greatness of God. Amen?